Hi everybody, welcome to the Recovery from Relapse meeting of Overuse Anonymous. My name is Rita Q and today is Tuesday the 25th of May 2021. Today I am absolutely delighted to welcome our speaker Kate S. Kate came into Overuse Anonymous just over a year ago and she's been absent for just a little over a year. She lives in North London and now she is going to um, share her experience, strength and hope with us. Take it away Kate. Thank you very much, Rita. Hi, everyone. I'm Kate S. Uh, I'm a compulsive overeater. Uh, and thank you very much for inviting me to speak um, today. As Rita said, I, I joined away a little over a year ago, and I have been abstinent since then. Uh, so today is 379 days, uh, but it has been quite an eventful um, journey to get here. So I'll start. Uh, by telling you my story from the beginning, um, then how I joined OA and um, what I've learned so far. So um, it's actually quite difficult to, to really convey uh, that the havoc that the food has raked into my life and this disease. I think I would have lived a very different life if it were not for this disease, for better or worse. Um, I recall struggling uh, with food ever since I can remember. So as far back as say nine years old, uh, I was using food as a way of coping with emotions, uh, particularly difficult emotions um, like anger, anxiety, stress, uh, but also emotions that had to do with uh, meeting other people's expectations. Uh, it was almost as if I had to meet my family's expectations. If, if I was not perfect, uh, I had no right to exist. Uh, I had no idea that the, the trap that that was at the time. Uh, I was actually not overweight as, as a child, uh, but even at that early age, say nine years old, I was actually desperately trying to control my weight. I was trying to be thinner and, and I started then a pattern of behavior that continued without interruption throughout my life, um, which was a constant cycle of binging and dieting and binging and dieting in an endless cycle. Eventually, uh, when I reached my late teens and onwards, my, my weight also started to fluctuate widely. There was never really a normal behavior towards food. I never had a normal behavior towards food. I was either going up on a suicide mission of binging myself to oblivion, or I was on a strict diet, losing weight rapidly. So there was no in-between ever that I can remember. Um, living like this and living with, with this disease, although I didn't know at the time that it was such a thing, uh, but it wasn't easy. Uh, on the one hand, there is the physical impact. Uh, I mean, I'm only five foot three, uh, so I have quite a small frame and the normal weight, say for my, for my height would be something along uh, eight and a half stone or 120 pounds. And when I was dieting, I would get to that weight and then in the upper uh, cycles of, of that binging, I would get to 11 stone, 12, 13, 15, 18 stone. Um, so, so that was a lot of pressure on a very small frame. 
so there was the physical impact of, of the disease and the impact on my health, but I think much more um, poignant really uh, was, uh, was the shame that accompanied this disease. Uh, and that was crippling. Um, I think shame is the most pernicious emotion really, because it separates you from other people. Uh, and, and it separates you from yourself or, or from life itself. Uh, I was deeply ashamed of my behavior uh, with, with food and of being so overweight. And in fact, I never opened up about this to anyone. I never talked to anyone about this, whether this was a friend, a lover, a boyfriend, or let alone family. And I say I never opened up about it. There is a bit of an irony to this because, of course, when when you're so big, it's not as if that that part of it could be hidden from the world. It was painfully obvious, uh, but I never talked about it and the behavior behind it. So the constant preoccupation with food, um, the, the, the behaviors, the quantities of food and also the emotional and the physical suffering associated was associated with all that, that was all secret. And that is a very isolating place to be uh, because it was such a big part of my life. So, so uh, this secret was such a big part of, of who I was, uh, but I was definitely not gonna let anyone close enough to, to see the chaos. So to some extent, I was leading a double life. Uh, externally, I was quite well adjusted um, on the face of it. You know, my life seemed reasonably normal. I was doing well at work. I paid my bills on time. I called my mother on her birthday, that kind of thing. But behind closed doors, my life was falling apart. It took so much energy for me to do daily things particularly when I was at my highest weight. Uh, so from house chores to waking up in the morning to attending to social commitments, um, it, it took so much energy to do normal things. And I was working really long hours and I would come home exhausted. And all I wanted and all I was looking forward to was just to collapse on the sofa with a mountain of food in front of me and just numb myself to sleep. Um, this was um, this was what I was looking forward to. Uh, I would prefer food to the company of people. And in fact, I, I recall times when I would get really irritable if I was not able to be alone with the food for for long periods of time. So so this really chipped away at my emotional and physical resilience to deal with with life. And at the same time, the food was also the remedy from that because it was a tranquilizer for my anxiety and my fears around failing in life, uh, of, of being inadequate, of being alone, all that. And it's quite funny because um, I achieved quite a lot in life um, from some perspectives. So I have a successful career. I have lived and worked in four different countries, but I tell you, I am no match for this disease. Um, right before I joined OA, I had reached uh, really the, the highest weight I've ever been. That was 21 stone. Um, uh, I was in my 40s uh, and I felt that my life and my eating was, was really spiraling completely out of control. 
And that night, that was the night before I joined OA, I actually had come finally, after all these years, I had come to the realization that I was never going to beat this. I was never going to beat this, this compulsion, whatever it was, I had no name for it. Uh, and that was an, a very dark realization. I was just about to go on another diet. And I knew at the bottom of my heart that that was utterly pointless. And usually what I would do when this realization would sort of approach my, my mind was I would just try to push it down. And I had this manic optimism that this time it would be different. This diet would be different. I'm going to do it differently uh, this time. Um, I'm, I'm going to go on another diet, but this time I will be okay. I will, I will be on top of it. It will be different. Um, there's something that uh, Nietzsche, Friedrich Nietzsche says, uh, he says that, that, that uh, people can only withstand so much truth and after a certain point they have to create an illusion in order to be able to go on living. And for me, I think that, that this was the truth that I could not bear. The, the, the truth that I could not bear was that, that I was powerless, basically. Um, and I can tell you, I've been through some stuff in life, um, but this was the truth that I could not bear. But that night, so right before I joined OA, I think for the first time in my life, I knew, as the big book says, that I was defeated. That the food was my master and quicksand stretched in front of me in all directions. It was very, a very dark moment and the acceptance of that fact, um, it felt like a spiritual death. Um, I prayed to God uh, as I had done many times before. But the thing is that as the big book actually says is that God, uh, uh, God will do for me what I can't do for myself but you can't do for me what I can do for myself. So God can help my action. He can't help my wishful thinking. So there has to be a doing for there to be a helping. So I knew I had to do something, but I didn't know what that was. And, and, and I was willing to do anything at that point. I, I just didn't know what. All I knew what to do was to diet. And, and that led me to 21 Stone. Um, so I just didn't know what to do. And in that moment, uh, the, the thought of OA came to my mind. And now I think this was a divine intervention, but it was then that OA came to my mind. I had heard of OA before, but I never really connected to the idea of OA. Uh, I mean, the whole thing of uh, we're powerless over food, we made the decision to turn our lives over to the care of God. It, it all sounded very cringeworthy to me uh, and, and quite dramatic. You know, I mean, I thought, you know, for goodness sake, it, it's just food, you know, it's not world peace. You know, it's just food, get a grip, you know, let, let God go do the important stuff you know, in life, it's not the cure for cancer, let God take care of the important stuff and you just lay your hands off the food, you know, is that that much to ask? Um, it, it all felt pretty dramatic. It, it also felt aesthetically quite grotesque. 
you know, even more grotesque was when I actually read, I had read at some point that uh, in face-to-face -face meetings, at the end of the meetings, people actually hug each other. And I thought, yeah, I'm out, you know, that's, that's not me, I'm just not going there. So that, that was my attitude, you know, and it, it all sounded very airy-fairy and I couldn't really see the link between my, what I was going through and, and, and God or spirituality. But of course, when you are in a foxhole, which is where I was that night, uh, really, I had run out of all options. So, and, and the idea of OA came to me as a floating log to a drowning person. I was, I was on my knees and I embraced that idea wholeheartedly. So I jumped on Google, I Googled for a meeting and there was a meeting in 30 minutes. Um, so I, online meeting, of course. So I went online uh, and I was absolutely shocked. Um, there were people there that were sharing their experiences, which were really my experiences they were they were sharing this so openly and their story was was my story and that was actually shocking i lived my long life up until that point without ever talking to anyone about what i was going through what i was going through my mind and and here i was for the first time in my life and i was not alone i was truly humbled and I have to say, I'm, you know, humility is not a thing I'm particularly known to suffer from, but, but I was very humbled that night. I cried through the whole meeting and it felt at the end of it, it felt as if decades of shame uh, were lifted off my shoulders in, in, that, in that one meeting. And I was struck abstinent, as they say. Uh, and I never went back to the food since then, because now I felt that I, I had found something to do for God to help me. You know, I, ha I, had, I had something to do. I, I found the sponsor. I stuck to a food plan. I went to meetings. I worked the steps and uh, I'm in a study group now with three other amazing women and we are in the same um, trajectory in our recovery uh, and this is essential really for my recovery and I never binged again since then and the weight started coming off uh, fast actually I'll show you very briefly I, I don't have many photos because uh, I voided the camera like the plague but uh, I do have one uh, which I'll show you if I manage I, I think it's quite striking, but I don't know. Sometimes I think it's striking and sometimes I can't see the difference. So this is me on the right, just before I joined uh, the program. Uh, and, and this is me about a week or two ago. Let me see. So that's me, just about a week or two ago. Um, so abstinence for me is really 
a precious gift. It is the most important priority in my life. Uh, it's, it's not one of my priorities. It's not my second most important priority. It is the most important priority. It is my first priority, which may sound extreme or it may sound selfish. Uh, I don't find it that it is because everything else depends on it. Uh, my ability to be productive, my ability to be compassionate, my ability to be present in my own life and in the lives of the people I love, um, it, it all depends on this. Um, I will talk to you a bit now about what I learned through this journey and through OA and the big book. Uh, and I learned basically many things, but, but five key things are the things that I carry with me all the time. The first thing that I learned in a way is that the why does not matter. Why I became a compulsive overeater. So the reasons I fell prey to this disease, my childhood trauma, whatever, it does not matter. Maybe it mattered once before I was a compulsive, became, I became a compulsive eater. Maybe, maybe it mattered once. But once the addiction took hold of my psyche, once it established itself into my, my body and my mind, um, insight into the causes is not going to protect me from it. Uh, it takes a life of its own and it has to be dealt with in its own terms. Uh, and for me, that is the way that the big book suggests. Insight into the causes is, is, is useful in general terms, but if you are a compulsive overeater of the hopeless variety, as the big book says, which is what I am, a compulsive eater, an addict of the, of the hopeless variety, uh, then insight into the causes is not going to protect me from the disease. It, it needs its own solution. And that for me has been the solution of the big book. The second thing I've learned is that I have a physical disease and that is a very real thing, uh, which I never thought so before. Um, and that physical disease is that when I eat certain foods, uh, certain quantities of foods or under certain circumstances, I can't stop eating. Um, the normal person would, would eat something uh, that the, they would feel full and then they will stop, they will stop eating. I can't stop eating if I eat certain foods. Uh, I, I recall having uh, a perfectly normal day, going about my day um, as you know, productively without thinking about the food. And then in the evening, I decide I had a good day, didn't I? I'll just have this one thing of this particular food. I, I don't want to mention the food. I'll just have this one. And then I do have this one. And then the day is over because my attention and my focus is is solely now on the food. Everything else zones out of my attention. And once the house is empty of everything that could satisfy my craving, I find myself at 11 p.m. at night uh, at a junk food place ordering more food. This is not normal. This is not a normal response to, to the food. So this is a very real physical disease. and and 
that re recovery from that requires, as the big book says, entire abstinence. I steer clear of those foods that I know are problematic for me completely. I don't negotiate this. I never go near it. Um, it so, so if that was the whole problem, so this is the physical um, disease. If, and if that was a whole problem, that would have been quite easy to deal with because I know what, what the harmful foods are for me and, and I don't crave them anymore. Uh, but it's more complicated than that because as the big book says, in addition to the physical disease, I also have a strange mental weakness when it comes to the food. Uh, and that is that when it comes to the food, my judgment strangely fails me every time that matters, every time. Now I'm not stupid, but I have been plenty stupid around the food. Uh, it is actually incredible how trivial excuses, stupid excuses I could just, just uh, find to justify going back to the food, just one bite. Uh, it, what is insane is how I could possibly forget the hell that, that this condition has been for me and just in that moment justify this just one bite. For example, you know, I've had I've had a really rough day. I deserve it, or I've had a great day. You know, I deserve it. It's only going to be with this one. You know, tomorrow I'm going to start again. So the damage really is negligible. You know, it's just one, and tomorrow start from scratch. Really, just one. That really doesn't exist. That's not impossible in the world in my mind that that I live in. Um, um, because it may be one bite tonight or even one bite tomorrow, but the clock has now started ticking. Uh, th that one bite has set something in motion in me. It's like, a, it's like a long domino that ends in tragedy and I have just knocked over the first piece. So give it a few weeks or a couple of months and then I will be in full-blown relapse and, and I won't even connect it back to that first bite. And of course, if, if I relapse, I will likely not come out of it for, for years. Uh, and, you know, as, as, the, as the big book says, it, it, the most trivial reason will appear when you least expect it and will just seem like a legitimate justification to take that first bite. So, so it, it really hits you from, the, from, from your blind spot. And I know that my disease is powerful, it is cunning, and it is also patient. So it doesn't matter how long I have been abstinent. Um, I have to be vigilant and I am very vigilant. So anything that, that um, if, if, if I find myself thinking about food or if I find myself um, neglecting some of the habits that I know are important for me to maintain my abstinence, I, I instantly zero in on that. They're not trivial. They're very, very important. Uh, I think the biggest risk to me for, to relapse are my arrogance and my complacency. You know, if I think that I'm on top of it, I've done it before, I can do it again. I've said this so many times to myself. Or if I think even that I am doing it, that, that it's in my control, 
this would lead me straight to relapse. Um, the third thing I've learned um, is that I will never have, uh, actually that's the fourth thing, sorry. So the fourth thing I've learned is that I will never have a normal relationship to food. As the big book says, we are like men who have lost their limbs. We are never going to grow new ones. Um, this is true of the compulsive eater of the hopeless variety, me, just as it is for the alcoholic of the hopeless variety. This may sound depressing, but to me, it feels completely liberating. It was liberating because once I saw this and once I accepted that fact, I started to take food seriously and I stopped banging my head against the wall, expecting to do things that someone who is not a compulsive overeater can do. You know, like things such as everything in moderation, you know, everything in moderation is a very noble aim in life. And, and I totally subscribe to it for most people under most circumstances in most situations. For me, everything in moderation is going to lead me to an early death. My disease requires entire abstinence from certain foods and certain quantities at all costs. It is an abstinence that I have to work on every day and keep at it at all costs. And I do. And uh, I guess the final thing uh, that I have learned in a way is it's, it is to believe in impossible things. Um, for those of you who have never read Alice in Wonderland, at some point Alice uh, in the book speaks with the queen and she tells the queen I can't possibly believe what you're asking me to believe. That's impossible. Uh, people can't be expected to believe impossible things. Um, and the queen replies, well, the reason you can't believe in impossible things is because you haven't had much practice. When I was your age, I used to believe in six impossible things before breakfast. So I now believe in at least one impossible thing before breakfast. And that is that by the time the day is over, my head will hit my pillow abstinent. This is a truly impossible thing. It is the most impossible thing, in fact. And yet it happens every night. I don't know how it happens because I'm not the one who's doing it, but it happens. It's a grace that has come to my life from the purest and deepest despair. When I joined OA and I met my sponsor, I remember telling her that uh, I, was, I was really, really terrified that I, would, that I would relapse. And she said, you're not going to relapse. And I said, how do you know? And she said, because I think you have suffered enough. And it really made a click in my mind um, that it that that was really what what changed my life. It was my desperation and my suffering really that that finally cracked me open to connect with something greater than myself, which is what I needed to 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 cope with this disease. 
um, and, and it also gave me a bit of comfort because I, I really regretted not coming across OA 20 years ago, 30 years ago. My life would have been so much different, but now I know that probably it wouldn't have because I hadn't suffered enough yet. I still thought I was, I was the one who was doing it and I didn't, I, I thought I was, I could still get on top of the food on my own. Um, so it was really, it took, and, and I guess, you know, not everyone is like that, but, but in my case, it took me being brought to my knees in order to really accept the powerlessness and, and just um, surrender enough to connect with, with something greater than myself that could actually help me. My recovery today and therefore my quality of life depends on the fitness of my spiritual condition. And there is no doing away with the fact that this is a spiritual program. It, we may not like it. We may be um, put off by this. This is just, there's no doing away with this. It, 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 this is what the program is. My abstinence, my recovery depends on my daily, daily surrender to something that is not me. It is a devotional attitude to life really. And, and this is the humility. And I think this is the key uh, that, that, that and if, anything, if anyone remembers anything from what I've said, I think is, is to remember that recovery can never really be a footnote in one's life. It's not an added thing. It, it, it requires a shift in one's entire life perspective. For me, it underlies my whole life. It encompasses my, my whole life. And this makes sense because the disease really had stretched its tentacles across all areas of my life as well. So any solution, if it's going to be effective at all, has to encompass my whole life too. And this is really the difference between uh, say a diet and 12-step ab abstinence or, 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 or recovery uh, is that is that the 12-step abstinence is, is a way of living that demands the participation of, of my whole personality. It's not, not just what goes into, into my mouth. Um, so where I am today is that I, I no longer think about the food. Uh, I'm not tormented by it. I, I don't feel preoccupied. I don't crave it. It's, it's not an issue. I don't think about the food. And yet I think about the food every single day, every morning that I pray and that I meditate to remind myself that this is not me who's doing it. It is a grace that I need to work on every day because it's granted to me for that day. Um, and I also need to remember where I was before. It, sometimes it feels like a distant, distant past. It's not, it's, it's very present. So I need to remember where I was and where I am today, just for today. Um, I, think, I think I will stop here. Uh, thank you very much for letting me share. Thank you so, so much, Kate. That was amazing. Thank you so much.